You are listening to the Tom Eliff Podcast. Tom Eliff pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now, here is Tom Eliff. Of Exodus chapter 20. Pick up your Bible. Read it aloud together with me. This is the third commandment. Let's read it. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Just that one verse. It is the third commandment. And in a few moments we're going to see how it applies to our home. And I'll be preaching to you on this subject. Show your love with your life. Show your love with your life. Commandment number one, first build on a firm foundation. Commandment number two, put away graven images. Now, show your love with your life. Let's pray together as our ushers find their places. I'm going to ask David Self to come and word our prayer for us as he is coming. Brother David, would you say one word about our special new members class which begins this evening and then we'll bow before the Lord in prayer. You've read in the broadcaster and in your bulletin this morning that we have a special new members training class that begins tonight for 13 weeks taught by Brother Stu Tully on our staff. He wanted to make it plain that anyone is welcome to come to this class who would like the discipleship training. You don't have to be a new member in the last six months. Anyone who does not have another responsibility at six is welcome to come. That meets in the fellowship hall, six o'clock. Also, engaged couples and newlywed couples, there's a special class that begins today that meets for you right after this service behind us in the bride's room. Let us pray. Father, we come to you today with hearts full of thanks. Thanks for the way you bless our church. Provide for us the way you do. Here we sit in a beautiful facility, the God-given pastor, hearing the word of life out of the Bible, while millions and perhaps billions of people all around the world today don't even have a church to worship in. Help us to be truly grateful and thankful and be proper stewards of the things you've given us. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. I want to introduce you to someone this morning. In fact, I feel a little awkward about this introduction because I think you already know this individual. He's a very likable person. In fact, you discover him very affable. Most of the time, he's quite easy to be around. And generally, he does his work in a proper fashion. There's something interesting about this fellow, however, in that he has some difficulty in controlling his tongue. And on occasion, he laces his language and spices it up somewhat by asking God to damn people to hell. Or perhaps he calls upon the name of Christ when he's really irritated. Or perhaps it is that he just often speaks about the Lord or, O Lord, or Lordy mercy. Sometimes perhaps when he's in mixed company, he doesn't want to be as explicit as he is otherwise. And so instead of using God, he uses gosh. And instead of using damn, he uses darn. And instead of using hell, he uses heck. But it's all just a revelation of the fact that what he says a little, he thinks about a lot as he drives along and as he works. 
And if you were to be around this man very long, let me ask you this question. What commandment would you assume that he was breaking? Why, I know the answer. You know the answer very readily. He, you would say, that man is living in violation of commandment number three, which says, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. But let me introduce you to another man. Like the first, this man can be found in church, but perhaps more often. In fact, perhaps this man could be found in church quite regularly. He comes, he worships, perhaps he even goes to Sunday school. But this man, although he has read in the Scripture that the tithe belongs to the Lord, he just simply doesn't believe that it's time now in his life to practice biblical principles of stewardship. So he doesn't tithe. Now, what command is that man breaking? Will it surprise you if I tell you that he is breaking, among others, the third commandment? Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Oh, let me introduce you to another man. This man comes to church. Could be a woman. Comes very faithfully and practices biblical stewardship. Now, at home... The kind of moral purity which is practiced in public and especially around church friends is, is practiced to some degree except in one area. In the evening time, the television is flipped on and this person says, well, while I never would think of doing or saying the things that I see, I don't mind looking at them and it doesn't even bother me to laugh at those who do. Now, what commandment is this person violating? Well, this person is living in violation of, among other commands, the third commandment of our Lord. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Let me introduce you to another individual who is in church, in fact, quite regularly in church. But while hymns are being sung as an act of worship to God, this person is mouthing the words without ever even thinking what he is saying or what she is saying. The words just come out almost many times by rote memory. And while prayers are being made, the prayers have this sameness about them. The same words are said week after week after week. Is this person violating a command in church on Sunday morning, singing hymns and praying prayers? Yes, if in that fashion it is done, that person is violating the third commandment. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Uh, let, let me introduce you to another individual. Perhaps this individual is a, is a Bible-toting Baptist. I mean in church, active, maybe even in a position of leadership. But on occasion, in fact, maybe more often than not, this person seems to be afflicted with the curse of the critical spirit, taking up the role of the devil who is the accuser of the brethren. This individual, man or woman, accuses the brethren, rarely has a kind word to say, perhaps especially at home, about anyone, very critical of God's way of doing business in his life or her life and very critical of other people whom God created. 
What commandment could this person be violating? Well, among other commandments, the third commandment of our Lord, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Now this morning, with your Bible open to the 20th chapter of Exodus and the 7th verse, we're going to think about this third commandment and especially how this third commandment relates to your home life, your private life. And I want to share with you that you really show your love for the Lord with your life. And I want to encourage you to show your love with your life. Now, we've looked at the first commandment, the importance of building, starting out on a firm foundation. You shall have no other gods before me. We looked at the second commandment, put away graven images. We looked at the character of a graven image, the course toward making a graven image. We looked at the curse of having a graven image and the cure. If you have spotted one in your own life, in your home, how to deal with a graven image in your life. But now the Lord says there's more to it than just putting away graven images. I want you to show your love for me with the confession of your life. Not just your lips, but with your life. Show your love with your life. In fact, he says here, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who taketh his name in vain. Now, I want you to examine, first of all with me this morning, the fact that a perfect God desires your pure love. Let me say it again. A perfect God desires your pure love. Notice it again in verse 7. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Notice, first of all, the nature of the person who is delivering this command. Who is delivering this command to you? It is the Lord thy God. Now, there are two words used here. First, the word Lord, which in the Hebrew language would be Yahweh, or we would say Jehovah. Now, this name of God, Jehovah, means literally the self-existent one, or the one who didn't come into being by means of being created by another entity. He always is. He is called the I Am. He always was, always is, always will be the self-existent one, the eternal one. And so that is the inference of this word Lord. And so thou shalt not take the name of the eternally self-existent one, thy God. And the word that is used for God here is the word Elohim, which is a plural word in the Hebrew language, which means literally the God above all gods or the supreme majesty. So it's not just any Tom, Dick, or Harry who is asking you not to take his name in vain. The nature of the person delivering this command demands that you pay attention to him. No one has ever walked the face of the earth of greater significance than this individual. 
No one will ever live throughout all of the world's history of greater significance. And no one exists beyond time in eternity who is greater than God. And so what we're saying is he is a perfect God and he desires your pure love. Looking at the nature of the person who delivers this command. But notice secondly the need for precision in defining this command. Now, when I spoke a few moments ago about the man who laced his language with oaths and used the name of the Lord in vain as he cursed, everybody could immediately identify with that and say, oh yes, we've, that, that we just decided that man has broken the third commandment. But I think some of you perhaps evidence some confusion, some perplexity on your faces as I begin to give these other illustrations, wondering how could those people be violating the third commandment and taking the name of the Lord, their God, in vain. They're not using God's name when they're cursed. How could they be taking the name of the Lord God in vain? All right, let's look for some precision in defining this command. We've looked at the person delivering the command. Now let's look at the precision in defining this command. First of all, the word take. In the original language, this word means literally, you shall not hold up or hold in regard. It means literally to lift up or to make known, all right? You shall not hold up or hold in regard. Notice what he says, the name of the Lord thy God. Now, the name of the Lord thy God does not mean the name G-O-D or J-E-S-U-S. But in the scripture, the name stands for the person himself. Did you know that there are even societies in this world where people will not tell you their name unless they know you intimately? For to give you their name is to give you a part of themselves. And so the reference here is more than using the name G-O-D or J-E-S-U-S or C-H-R-I-S-T. It's more than using that name. It means you shall not hold in regard the person of God, Jehovah Elohim. You shall not hold him in regard lightly. Now the word that is used here, in vain, is an interesting word in the original language of the scripture. It is a word which has as it root, as it, at its root this meaning, to rush over, just to rush past, just to consider it lightly, or to hold it in low esteem. So what is this third commandment? Is it a commandment meaning solely that all you must not do is use God's name when you curse? Not at all. This commandment says, you shall not hold God, the eternally existent God of gods, you shall not take him lightly. You shall not consider him with little or low esteem. You shall not rush past him and have little regard for God. And so what does this command intend for you and I to understand? A perfect God desires not just some of your love, but your pure love. You must not take him lightly. You must not hold him in low esteem. You must say, God, you are my God. I am sensitive to you. I am listening to you. Now, so often we think of it as just cursing. 
but also means to talk about God and not think about Him as you talk, or to sing hymns about God and not worship Him as you sing, or to pray prayers unto God and to be more conscious of your earthly audience than you are your heavenly audience, as well as meaning to use God's name in vain to be profane. It means also to say that God is your God to call him your God and yet to disobey his commandments. That is taking the person of God lightly. One night I went into a, a barracks room where there were dozens of little boys who were on a camping trip up in the north woods of Maine. And I was their counselor. It was a cold night and the boys were agitated. And when I went in, flashlights were, 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 the light of the flashlights were just all over the ceiling. I mean, they were having a, it looked like Star Wars. I mean, they, it was amazing. All these beams of these flashlights. It was past midnight. And I said, guys, I want you to turn out those lights, get in bed. I don't want to hear another word. It's past midnight. Someone over in the corner said, are you asking us or telling us? I said, I'm telling you. He said, that's all I want to know. That's all I want to know. Now, God is not saying, if you get a chance, or if it suits your fancy, or if it meets your needs, or if it seems to be a little handy to you, pay me some respect. God says, I am a perfect God. If you want me as your God, you're going to have to give me your pure love. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That's what it means. A perfect God demands, as well as desires, as well as deserves, your pure love. But notice, secondly, that your private life, your private life declares your personal love. Your private life. Oh, I know you're here in church and you say, I'm at church declaring that I love God. But if you want to know the truth about someone, you find out about their private life. Now, your private life does not determine who is your Lord, but your private life does declare who is your Lord. Now, when the Bible speaks about love, when the Bible talks about adoration of God and worship of God, it means far more than some gushy, sentimental emotion. It means in the ultimate to have a holy respect. In fact, if you men would ask your wives, what is the one thing you could do that would show your love for them more than anything else, they would say, I would just like to know that you respect me as a person. I want to know that you respect me as an individual. And wives, your husbands would say the same thing. What can you do? How can you show your love for me? You show your love by your respect, not just by saying I love you. You young people, you tell your parents a lot of times on, on Dad's Day and Mom's Day, oh, I love you, or we'll have a service, and we'll have the Lord's Supper, and you'll go to Mom and Dad, and you'll say that I love you. But ultimately, the way you show your parents that you love them is by whether you respect them by whether you honor your father and your mother, as one of the other commandments says. Now, let me show you the progression that is made here. First of all, the decision. 
that you're going to trust in the Lord Jesus as your Savior is made in your soul. God begins to work spiritually, but you come to a decision time. That decision is made in your soul. By the way, another word for soul is the word heart. Those words generally in the Bible are used interchangeably. They are referring, heart and soul refer to your intellect, that is what you think about something, your emotions, how you feel about it, and your volition or your will, where you make your decision. So it begins, as far as your involvement is concerned, with a decision made in your soul or your heart. For instance, in Romans 10, verse 10, we read, With the heart man believes unto righteousness. That's where it all begins. With the heart man believes unto righteousness. Over in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, the Apostle Paul said, My prayer for the Christians in Ephesus is that Christ will dwell in your heart or soul by faith. Over in the first, uh, 14th chapter of John's Gospel, Jesus said, Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Make the choice to trust me. And so it begins, your whole walk with God begins with a decision made in your soul. But did you know the Bible says that what is in your soul or in your heart is ultimately going to be expressed with your lips and finally with your life? What is in your heart is going to come out. What is in your heart is going to come out. So while a decision is made in your soul, the declaration is made by your speech. That's the next step. A declaration is made with your speech. Romans 10, 10 again. With the heart man believes unto salvation, and then with the mouth confession is made unto, or literally about, your salvation. In Luke 6, verse 45, the Lord Jesus says, Out of the abundance of a man's heart, he speaketh. So what is in you is ultimately going to come out of you through the gate of your lips. Out of the abundance of a man's heart, he speaketh. Jesus went on to say, Why do you call me, in verse 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Why do you even come near to me and call me your Lord? Why do you bow your head at the breakfast table and say, Dear Lord? Or why do you stand in your church and pray, Lord God, we pray? Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Now notice, and do not the things I say unto you. Now, what you say reveals who you serve. But notice, there is an even greater test, and that is your activity. Why do you call me your Lord, and do not the things I say unto you? The issue is doing. So, first of all, a decision is made in the soul. A declaration is made by your speech. And finally, there is a display made of that decision and that declaration made with your life, with your service. Now, Jesus said in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, beginning with verse 21, now listen, not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. So there's more involved in speech. But he who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. You say, oh, are we saved by our works? No, he goes on to say, in fact, many are going to come to me and say in that day, Lord, in your name haven't we done many wonderful works? 
And in your name haven't we prophesied. And in your name haven't we even cast out devils. And he will say on that day, it's not just your speech that counts. It's not just your life that counts. But your problem is you didn't go back to the first part. I never knew you. Not I knew you and you got lost. You were saved and you got lost. No, I never knew you. So the decision is made in the soul. I am trusting Jesus and Jesus alone is my Savior. The declaration is made in your speech and the display is made by your service. And this shows up the most clearly in your home. Do you know why some of you have such difficulty witnessing to your family members? You say, oh, I tell you what, I'm praying for my family members, but I can't talk to them. There's nothing I can say to them. Do you know why many of you are reserved about going to your family members? Because your family members have carefully scrutinized your private life. And for you to come to them and tell them that they ought to adore the Lord God would make you look like nothing more than a bald-faced hypocrite. They know that at home you are as mean as a snake. They know that when you get angry, you are as profane as a Dutch sailor, whatever that means. They know that, that when you're agitated and when you are irritated, you can be just as conniving and just as godless as anybody else. And they know, that wife knows, that she can come in and find her husband glued to some old filthy program on television. Or that husband knows he can call home in the middle of the day and some dumb soap opera is on that she is attached to it. And the reason that you have such difficulty even thinking about witnessing to your family members is that your private life has told the story about your personal love. So your private life declares your personal love. Now, I want to come finally this morning to what I consider the most sobering statement in all of this message. It is a sad statement. For many here this morning, it will be a frightening conclusion to an otherwise logical message. Here it is. I have said that a perfect God desires your pure love. You see it right there in the Scripture. I have said this morning that your private life declares your personal love. I mean, what you do privately, and it's especially obvious in your home, that declares who you really are serving, who you really respect, who for whom you have great love. All right, here is the third statement. Your present love declared by your private life may depict the fact that you are personally lost. Now, you're going to have to look in your heart. You're going to have to walk through the hallways and the rooms of your home. And then you're going to have to look down in the corridors of your mind. Let me say it again. It could be that your personal love, which is declared by your private life, depicts the fact that you are personally lost in spite of your church going, in spite of your religion, in spite of some confession that you have made. Look now into your personal life because it is in your personal private life that you declare your love, who it is you're serving. 
And when that declaration becomes an honest declaration, you may discover that you're personally lost. In spite of all your religion, you are personally lost. And the Bible says the Lord will not hold him guiltless who taketh his name in vain. Let me ask you to do something this morning, right there where you're seated. Why don't you just strip away your church attendance for a moment? Strip away all of the public works you have done to evidence how good you are. What, if anything, about your private activities, your private thoughts, your private conversation, your private priorities, what, if anything, evidences the fact that Christ has come into your heart, changed your life, and captured your devotions. Anything? When you're away from this church, and you're not walking the streets, and you're not off at business where you have to watch yourself, but when you're at home, and you let your hair down, what is there about your priorities that says Christ has captured my heart? What is there about your conversation that says, I'm a new man in Christ Jesus? What is it about your Bible study and prayer life that says, I don't want to go any time without worshiping and serving my Lord? You see, if you strip away all the public activities and declarations and get right down to home, right down to where you live, it could be that you will discover that you are personally lost. It could be that there is no evidence of a changed life. It could be there's no evidence Christ has made you a new creature in Christ Jesus. It could be that to talk to your family members about your walk with Jesus brings a bemused smile or even a smirk or perhaps an outright laugh. Now, I want to tell you something, friends. This issue is serious to God. It's serious enough that God made it one of the Ten Commandments. It is serious to God. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Don't hold God in low regard. Don't pass by him lightly. Don't take him lightly. It's one of the commandments. And God will not hold him guiltless who taketh his name in vain. And I want to tell you something. God makes no allowance for your disrespect. I don't care if that joke does bring a loud guffaw from the people standing in your circle. God makes no allowance for disrespect. He doesn't say, well, you only smoke or drink, that's pretty good, two out of three. He makes no allowance for disrespect. He never says to you, oh, I'll let that one slide. The Bible says the times of our ignorance God once winked at, but no more. He will by no means, the Bible says, clear thee guilty. He doesn't allow any disrespect. He never says it's okay. He never says, well, you go ahead and show disrespect for me because by doing that you'll be popular or they'll think you're a really funny person or they'll think that you're somebody they want to follow. He allows no disrespect. He makes no allowance for it. This is serious business to God. God will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Not only is this issue serious to God, to ignore it is sin to man. To ignore it is sin to man. You say, I, preacher, 
Are you telling me that I really need to get into this hymn singing? I'm not saying that. God is. You open your mouth, let those words come out, you better mean what you're singing. You better think about it. You mean you're serious about the fact that God's really, God's really paying attention to my prayer? I didn't say that. God said that. He said, don't you stand up and say, dear Lord, we're just praying now that you'll do this and this and this and this and bless all those whom it's our honor, duty, and privilege to pray for. Amen. Lord, bless this food now and all of the, the hands that prepared it and we who partake of it. Amen. To ignore it is sin to man. And it could be that as you look in the privacy of your life, you strip away all the public things you do to prove to people and yourself that you're saved and look in your private life and examine your priorities, examine your dedication, examine your conversation, examine the way you spend your time. It could be that your present love, which is declared by your private life, depicts the fact that you are personally lost, that you've never made that decision to trust in Jesus as your Savior. Claim Him as the Lord of your life. Last Sunday evening, nine of our deacons to be ordained stood in this pulpit, and they shared, not with everybody who's here, not because they couldn't have shared with everybody who's here, because a lot of you who... We're not here last Sunday evening. We're at home where your personal love was declaring that you're probably lost. You say, you mean stay home on Sunday night means that I'm probably lost? I don't know. If you could have come to worship God and spent time encouraging other people and encourage these men who were ordained, and you said, I'd rather stay home and watch TV, I would say that the personal love declared by your private life indicates you're probably lost. But these men stood up and took a great host of people anyway. These men shared their testimony. Every one of them were men who at one time had walked down some aisle of some church someplace and said, well, I want to be a Christian, and discovered later on, as God's Holy Spirit began to convict them personally, individually, privately, that they were not truly born again. And that was evidenced by the fact that their lives were not actually changed. Now, the interesting thing about these testimonies is that when you talk to these men, you'll discover that they often were surprised that their friends were not surprised, right? Some of you guys were surprised that your friends were not surprised that you're lost. But what is more shocking is that most of the time, family members are not surprised when Someone who professes to be a Christian who's actually lost gets saved. Family members are rarely shocked. Why? They see your private life where you declare your personal love, which indicates you're probably lost. And so they're rarely surprised, family members. No, not in the home. They know what your priorities are. They know who you really care about. They know what you really respect. They know what God's Word means to you. They know how much in prayer you are. They know whether you're a holy man or a holy woman and try to live a life after God. They know whether if they're gone, you're going to sit there with the Word of God or glue yourself to the television. They know whether you're more turned on by thoughts of God or by some sensual language or some sensual thing that you can see or that you can read or that you can hear. They know all about that. And so rarely are your family members surprised when you say, although I've said I was a Christian, I have discovered I'm not and I'm trusting in Christ. They say, praise God. We've been praying to that end. 
We have funerals, it seems like, in the past several weeks, almost every day. People go on to be with the Lord. And you know, it's very interesting. It's very interesting. When a man or a woman has lived a consistently Christ-like private life with friends and family, often at that funeral service, more people are saved at the death time of that individual than in their whole lifetime. Because the appeal can be made. Look, this person trusted in Jesus. This person's heart's desire would, that you, would be that you would make that same decision. And many times, dozens of people will come to know Jesus. But oh, you can sure tell the difference when that body is stretched out and the preacher says something about the importance of trusting Jesus and this person would want you to do that. You look out across that congregation and you'll find people listening and they have bemused smiles on their faces or smirks or they're talking to their friend and they're not remembering that this person was a Christian. They remember that dirty joke or they remember that night in that motel or they remember that last drink. They remember that profane language. They remember that your priorities don't in any way indicate that. And so the preacher's trying to say something good and the family members are laughing and the friends are putting their, 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 their coats over their mouth because nothing good can be said that is consistent with the way that person lived although that individual was a church member. Now let me ask you how it's going to be with you. The Bible says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. A perfect God deserves, desires, demands a pure love. Your private life declares your personal love. And your private declaration of your personal love may declare that you're personally lost. No changes. Taking the name of the Lord God in vain. May God grant you the grace this morning to say, I give it up. I'm trusting Jesus alone as Savior and taking him as Lord of my life. I will never take him lightly again. Father in heaven, we come to you now asking that you move in power at this invitation time. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. And while you remain seated, just listen very carefully. I wonder how many of you here this morning would say, Brother Tom, God, speaking to my heart by his spirit, and I realize I'm not a perfect person, but I sure see evidences, even when nobody's watching, that Christ has captured my heart, that I'm truly born again. And I'm confident as God's spirit bears witness to my heart, and I'm confident as I look into my own life, that I'm a changed man, I'm a changed woman, and that if I died, I'd go to heaven. Would you just lift your hand way up high? I'm confident Christ has changed my life. When nobody's looking, and in my home, it's evident Christ has changed my life. Put your hand down, please. I wonder how many this morning would be honest enough. I mean, that's where it begins, doesn't it? Young man, young lady, mom, dad, sir, ma'am. That's where it begins. It all begins when you finally just get honest. I wonder how many of you would be honest enough this morning to say, you know, I make some kind of confession. I come to church. I do the church thing. But as I look in my private life, 
I don't see any evidence of a pure and personal love of God. When I look at the things I do when nobody's watching, the habits I have, the thoughts I have, the things I would do if I thought nobody would ever find out, the places I would go if I thought there were no consequences, it's obvious to me I am not a changed man. I'm not a new creature in Christ Jesus. And Brother Tom, I know you wouldn't call me by name. I wouldn't if I could. But Brother Tom, when you're praying for people to get right with God, you need to pray for me because my private life indicates that my personal love is for someone other than the Lord God himself. I've taken him in vain. Pray for me. Would you just lift your hand way up all over the congregation? That's it. God bless you. Yes, way up, way up high. Pray for me. I'm going to be honest enough to admit it. I need your prayer. Yes, way at the back, right here at the front. Yes, ma'am, right over here. Two or three right here in the, in, right in the very front of me. All right. Others, raise your hand up. Teenagers, over on either side. As I look at my private life, there's no evidence that there's ever been a change in my life. No evidence. Yes, sir. Thank you. Anyone else? As I examine, I'm going to be honest enough to admit there's no change there. Outwardly, I've tried to change. Inwardly, there's been no change. And I guess that means I'm taking the name of the Lord God in vain. My friend, in just a few moments, I'm going to pray and we're going to stand. And if your heart's desire is to be forgiven of sin and to receive eternal life, those of you who raised your hand and said, there's no evidence, there is no evidence, I'm born again. I want to encourage you to come, find the hand of one of these counselors and say to one of these counselors, people or some people are already coming, look, there's no evidence and no witness that I'm a child of God. I'm coming this morning to trust in Jesus alone as Savior and Lord of my life. I'm coming to receive him as Savior. Now, others of you have other decisions. Some of you need to come to be saved. Others of you need to come to join this church. Others of you need to come to baptize. Some of you need to come to put your families back together. Others of you need to come to deal with issues in your private life that are absolutely destroying your walk with God. And folks are already starting to come. We're going to pray when we stand. The choir begins singing. Find the nearest aisle. Make your way forward quickly. And let Jesus be Lord of your life. Let him be your Savior to forgive and cleanse you and you settle it this morning. Father in heaven, we sense your spirit moving in this place. Now bring people to say yes to Jesus. I pray in your precious name. Amen. Let's stand. The choir begins singing. That's it. You just come on. Others are coming. I am trusting in Jesus this morning. As a teenager, as an adult, we're coming as a family to say yes to God. God bless you.